Well, thank you, Concordia. That's our group that uh, kind of used to be the Braves team. We appreciate their leading us today. We welcome you if you're here with us for the first time. We just pray the Lord would bless you and encourage you today. Uh, today is sort of a special day in the life of our church, and that following this worship service, we'll be having a special call, uh, hopefully brief church conference to deal with one matter. And I'll be talking about that a little bit during the service today. I do want to share with you, though, that uh, where I'm going to be going after this is I just am so deeply concerned about the American church and people and all the pressures you and I get from the world, the messages of the world, that we must be truly grounded in what we believe as Christians. Uh, you show a, 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 crick, a, a stick is crooked by laying a straight stick beside it. And so my preaching as I move into next week is going to be teaching us all about the straight stick of the Word of God. And so we're going to be beginning kind of with the beginning of um, the nature of Scripture. We're going to begin going through the things that we really believe doctrinally and preaching messages, maybe beginning and working through the Bible uh, in some different uh, formats as we go. Uh, if you want to pick up, and we have um, probably about a thousand of these we've ordered, that the next Sunday there will be a little pamphlet called The Baptist Faith and Message. You can pick up, which is just a little condensed pamphlet version of our statement of faith as, uh, that we embrace as Southern Baptists, that we embrace as a church in our Constitution that kind of expresses uh, what we believe, the Scriptures at the bottom, and so we'll start into that. I hope if you... Uh, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, that you buy a copy of the Bible. I have no problem with the um, Bible on iPads and phones and that kind of stuff. But you know, the Bible is something you need to mark up and take notes in, remember. And I don't know about you. If you can do that with electronic media, that's fine. I have a terrible time trying to highlight something and save it and go back and find it. But I want this to become your constant companion. We hope to have the pew Bibles back in the pews by next week. We hope to begin passing the offering plates again during the service next week and just try to return more and more back to normal. But isn't it, isn't it good to be all together today? And so it's just wonderful. I'm excited about that. And we're early in the summer. People have already picked up and started going, but a good crowd in here today. And we just pray we can now begin to build back to where we were uh, before that uh, horrible thing hit us uh, last year. Father, bless now this message Help us embrace, Lord, your heart. Thank you for those who have led us to get us to this point in this immediate thing today. But, Lord, in the past, people that have uh, had vision and faith and sacrificially worked to, Lord, get us to where this church is this morning. We're indebted to them. We stand upon their shoulders and God, we pray that you would help us as we move forward, that Lord, all of us, if you tarry and you do not return soon, Lord, that um, this church will have a vibrant future and that you can make it, Lord, even more, Lord, effective in growing and reaching people as time goes by. And that we'll leave it better than we found it when we got here. We'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. June 6th will always be an important milestone date in the history of our nation. For it was on this day in 1944, wasn't it, that the Allied invasion of Europe took place on the coast of France. It was a turning point day that chartered the future for the Allied forces to eventually invade Germany and destroy the Nazi regime 
at its heart. And thank God they did prevail in a just war against a pure evil ideology driven by a narcissistic megalomaniac, Adolf Hitler. And so today marks the 77th anniversary of what you see there of the five places on the map that they planned to invade on D-Day. D-Day was one of the largest military operations in all of human history. And it was and still is the largest amphibious invasion in the history of mankind. Officially called Operation Overlord, the plan for D-Day included amassing and using a force of 156,115 U.S., British, and Canadian troops. And we've had people in our church in the past, many have passed away now, who are there on that day. It also included 6,939 ships and landing vessels, 2,395 aircraft, and 867 gliders that would deliver airborne troops on that uh, day on those beaches where thousands of young men died. And we're in their debt. To pull this off, it took years of planning, adjusting in the planning, and then the execution. But they had a playbook a playbook that had been devised by the military and civilian leaders of these three countries. It also took great effort to amass the supplies. The U.S. military had to ship 7 million tons of supplies to the staging area, including 450,000 tons of ammunition. And Operation Overlord was divided among sections of beachfront along the Normandy coast, codenamed from west to east, Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juneau, and sword, which you see there, and the different flags represent whose troops were going in where. You know, great things are seldom accomplished without a plan, without forethought, without foresight. And in our case, as we follow the Lord as His church, without faith. And this morning is one of those times when we as a church get to be part of adopting such a plan for our future. It's a time like our church has faced in the past and like the people of God have come to throughout history. And so we're reminded of that today in a message I've entitled, A Strategic Moment in Time. And I want us to read out of 1 Chronicles this morning, chapter 28, from the words of David, the accents of David, in verses 8 through 19. So here's David speaking about his plans for the temple. And Solomon is involved, his son. So now I charge you, verse 8, in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your fathers and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. And then David gave his son Solomon the plans... For the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God, and for the treasuries for the dedicated things 
He gave him instructions for the divisions of the priests and Levites and for all the work of serving in the temple of the Lord as well as for all the articles to be used in its service. He designated the weight of gold for all the gold articles to be used in various kinds of service and the weight of silver for all the silver articles to be used in various kinds of service. The weight of gold for the gold lampstands and their lamps with the weight for each lampstand and its lamps and the weight of silver for each silver lampstand and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand. The weight of gold, each table for consecrated bread, the weight of silver for the silver tables, the weights of pure gold for the forks, sprinkling bowls and pitchers, the weight of gold for each gold dish, the weight of silver for each silver dish, and the weight of the refined gold for the altar of incense. He also gave him the plan for the chariot, that is the cherubim of gold that spread their wings and overshadow the ark of the covenant of the Lord All this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. That's quite a plan, isn't it? (laughs) He didn't leave much undone in that plan. Last week, in talking about the matter of stewardship, our money and faith, we read from 1 Chronicles 29, similar part of the Bible, where David in his public prayer teaches us that nothing we have belongs to us Everything belongs to the Lord, and we're only caretakers of his goods. And so the context of all of this, what's going on here, is that Israel has now been settled in the land for a long time. King David desired to build a permanent temple for the worship of God in a particular place in Jerusalem. That's his heart. But God would not let David build it because David, he says, was a man of war with blood on his hands. So he said, David, I'm not going to let you build it, but... One of your descendants will build it. And so David uh, begins to make preparations for his successor to build the temple. And I'm not going to turn to it for time's sake, but First Chronicles 22, 8 and 9 tells us that God showed him that Solomon was to be the one that God had picked out to be the successor. And he would be the one that builds, would build the temple. So here we find in the text today that David then takes the plans God had given them to him and he hands them off to Solomon He tells the people to support Solomon and encourages the people to begin moving forward and giving toward this huge needed project. And that's the point of the text that we have read this morning. You know, as we think about this moment, and this is a message directed primarily to our church, as we think about this moment, the the life of Israel, and this moment in the life of our church where we are going to vote in a bit after this service on our long-range plan, All of us then and now, people of Israel and us, being the people of God, I want to share with you just for a few moments a few reminders and points of direction and consideration as we move through this important day. Just a couple of things primarily I want to talk about here. First of all, as we read what was going on with David and the nation of Israel, the people of God then, and as we think about who we are now today, We learn from this text that a growing nation called for continual planning. And so as we have read these words of David regarding the plans for the magnificent temple to be built in Jerusalem, we have to remind ourselves that this was not the first time in Israel's history that God had given them a plan for what needed to be done in relationship to their worship of him as a gathered community of faith. David talks about the assembly here. The church is often called the assembly of God as well. 
And so this is not the first time God's given them a plan about what they needed to do in their history. You'll remember that in the past history of Israel, they had been delivered by God from slavery in Egypt. And as they left Egypt and began to make their way to the promised land, God gave them a plan through Moses to build a tabernacle through which they would worship God and gather as his people, his ancient church, if you would. And in Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9, we hear about that old plan where it says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, God said to Moses, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God gave Moses the plan for the tabernacle. And they built it. It was a place of worship and service that they could put up and take down. It was a portable temple they carried with them through the wilderness. And it served them well over a period of time. Now in our text today with David, time has gone by. They've settled in the land. And the Lord reveals to them now the next steps for a permanent place of worship. Much bigger than what they had before in which to worship and serve him as a community of believers. And so David hands off the plans to Solomon. It's going to take seven years to build that temple. And so then David, you know, he's not going to be around when that, when that takes place. He's going to, to die. And so he hands it off, but he envisioned what needed to be done, and then he gave them that new plan. Several weeks ago, when we shared with you on a Sunday morning the future building presentation, we noted that in the life of the early church, we find that already the church in the time of Paul and others was thinking about the strategic use of buildings to worship and reach others. We know that the early church met in people's homes to a degree, but over time that model did not prevail. Most of the church today is not meeting in homes, particularly in our country. And we see even how in Ephesus, in Acts 19, 8 through 10, and I'm not going to revisit with you, but Paul had been teaching in the synagogue in Ephesus. They rejected him as the Jews began to pull away and not convert, and they resisted Paul. And so the text says, Paul went next door to the hall of Tyrannus. Basically, they rented it out, and for a couple of years, he preached the gospel, and they used that building to evangelize that whole region must have been a large complex. And from that moment in time, the church would turn to planning and constructing buildings for worship, prayer, ministry, and evangelism down through the centuries. And so now we as God's people in New Testament times, we're the people who have been chosen by God, delivered from slavery, have we not been, to sin and death. We are looked at, the church, as God's holy nation. We are God's holy nation now. In 1 Peter 2, in verses 9 and 10, Peter says that um, you are a chosen people, talking to the believers, to Christians, to the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so now as God's people, we are a chosen people, a nation of God on mission. We have a mission. We're called to make disciples, new disciples. We're called with everything within us to seek to grow 
God's church wider and deeper and to make new people uh, disciples as we lead them to Christ, make new believers. And so as Israel had to keep planning for the growing ministry of God's nation, as the early church began to plan and use facilities in the life of Paul, down through the centuries the church has continued to do that, and now local churches today who wish to obey Christ and reach people, they have to think about these things, they have to plan, they have to envision, even as the allies had to plan and envision how they were going to take the coast of Normandy. You know, in looking back in the life of this church, a small group of people, 11 people, 11 charter members, so how many people started this church? 11 people on this property. They took that step of faith to constitute this congregation here in 1907. And there were two other churches involved, Baptist churches that helped plant this church. Think about that, 11 people. They had only a small log structure that was here, and they inherited that when the property became theirs. church was out in the country, and for a long time it stayed small, but over time it grew. The church was served by a long time, from 1907 to about 1950, by part-time pastors, bivocational pastors, and they had one small White building, there it is, the original white frame church, 1907. There's a model of it back here in the commons, in the history case. It actually was a post office box that somebody made, and it's back there now. That used to be where Concord met. It's not here anymore, by the way, because things changed. It used to be a pastorium on the campus. It's not here anymore because things changed. But that was the church, the building. In the 1950s, the church reached the point of calling their first full-time pastor. His name was Alvin Wall. And the church continued to grow. And under his leadership, the church took huge steps of faith to begin to build. The next slide I want to pull up, if you could pull it up there, guys. It's kind of an overview of the campus today. So the church began to grow, and under Pastor Wall, the wall building, the brick house over here with the dome that was built, and this three-story education building, which has children's classrooms and offices now on the top, and over here is the offices on the downstairs part, that was built during that time. You know, that was a huge step for this church to take. Some of you might have been around during that time. Some of you may have given toward that. Big step of faith for this church to take that step back then. Some of you were saved in that building in a worship service. Some of you went to Sunday school in that building when you were kids. Some of you were baptized. Some of you raised your kids here and they went to Sunday school over there. We used to have kids going to Sunday school over there. Aren't you thankful that those Concord members had a plan that they sacrificed, that they took steps of faith. And they did not say, you know, we're big enough now. They did not say, we don't need this. They did not say, why do we need to keep building? And had they not taken those steps of faith, following a plan, this church would have stagnated. It would have started to die. And we are indebted to those people. They planned, and you and I are the beneficiaries of what they did. 
Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here today. But then things changed. A new pastor came in 1971. The community continued to grow. The plans had to develop and change for the church to keep growing. And under Pastor Marcarell's tenure, the church added more buildings. So under that tenure, we added, you can't see it all over, it's called the Nally Building. That's the preschool building. And on back there is the fellowship hall. And then behind all this is the gym with the big columns. And that was the interim worship center. Started uh, from 1974 until the building we're sitting in right here was built in 1997. You know, there were a lot of big steps taken during that time. Looking back on what the income of the church was to what it cost to build the worship center, it was astronomical cost. But we're thankful they did it. Aren't you? I'm, I'm glad to be in this room worshiping today. It's a beautiful room that will always be the centerpiece of this campus. So again, the church planned, the, the church envisioned what needed to take place. People sacrificed and stretched themselves to provide a bigger place for the church to keep growing. And again, aren't we glad that they said we don't need more room? And aren't we glad they said we need more parking? Aren't we glad they say we need more room for our children to grow and to be taught and more room for worship, more room to invite people to tell them the gospel? Otherwise, Concord Baptist would not be one of the leading Baptist churches in the upstate of South Carolina. It took planning, thought, sacrifice, time, money, effort to get to this point. And when I came as your pastor in early 2004, the church had been through some transitions, a long interim, the church was aging demographically, you were being affected also by changing church models in Anderson, explosive growth of some new churches. And furthermore, our church had reached a ceiling of capacity on the campus, that is, maxed out, hit a ceiling and had some decline during that time as well because of that. Had some portable buildings back there by the gym to try to alleviate the problem, but it did not. And it took us forever to get rid of those ugly things. <laughs> but, you know, when I came, I had been handed a plan. This is the plan. I got a book of the plan. Actually, nobody gave it to me. I found it over in the credenza behind the preacher's desk. And I said, well, this is the plan. Done by Neil Prince, architect. This is the plan. And so, began to look at the plan. It didn't have portable buildings in it, but that was an adjustment that had to be made on the roadmap. Slowly, though, we began to grow again. We were able, beginning around 2008, to build the next building, and that's this education building back here with the commons, classrooms, and a new choir suite. We were able to break back through a 600 barrier in average attendance in Sunday school. And since then, we have purchased more property. We developed more parking. And then we were finally breaking, getting close. And we were breaking at sometimes 800 in Bible study before COVID hit. And we were running 1,000, 1,100 in here in worship and in our children's worships combined. But in this time frame, between when this plan was done... And where we are today, more things have changed that affect how we have followed the playbook. One is that we did acquire more property so we could grow. 
to the economy tanked in 2008, and so we chose to build a little smaller building, a two-story building back here rather than three-story, and we didn't build another bigger building that was called for over here at that time because things tanked. We needed space, but we had to kind of go different on the plan to get the space in a way that we could afford it at that time, and the way people were concerned as well about what happened in 2008 with the economy. So we basically, we tracked along building phase two on the old plan. But then something else happened. Our model has changed as we developed our ministry here to focus more fully on children's worship, student worship with their own platforms and spaces. And so it was time to revisit the plan. And that's what we've been doing over this past year or so. I cannot find, looking through the minutes, and maybe I'm overlooking, I'm a guy, and I miss things sometimes, but I didn't see where the church ever voted on this plan. But I've tried to follow it as best I could as we think about our future to some degree. So it was time to revisit it, though, because it wasn't adequate. And so, you know, you have voted for the plan we presented a few weeks ago, thousands of dollars to have it done. You voted in business meetings and through your finance committee to pay for that plan through EQUIP. I think it was probably thirty to forty thousand dollars that we have spent on that, and so it was presented to you in April. We've taken time to pray and talk about it today. As your pastors, your staff, your long-range planning team, we're asking you to adopt it as a new playbook, and that's all we're doing today. We're getting a new playbook. That's all we're doing. It's not complicated. Now that old plan that I have here, it had you know pretty much similar square footage to what we're thinking about building in the future on the new plan. It had buildings in some of the same places where we're talking about building new buildings uh, close to the playground out here. It called for a new entrance on this side, not as big as the one we're thinking about doing, but it called for that as well. I don't think that it figured in the worship space we need with children, students, and adequate ultimately the parking the way it needs to be designed. But, you know, that was all there. It also did not consider that this building is now 20-something years old and it's going to need some updating over time and refurbishing. So here's the rub. Again, I can't find the church ever voted on this old plan. And I probably could have just said, well, the committee did their work. Here's our new plan. And so now we're going to appoint a committee and start thinking about building the next building. But the Bible tells me not to lord things over people as a shepherd. I take congregational polity governance very seriously. I want to be accountable to you, and I want us to do things together. And so I'm bringing this to you because I believe that we need to approve it as a church. And this is going to take years to all this, for all this to be done. It's going to be done in phases. And while leadership may change over time, there will be a playbook the church has approved for future development to grow to the maximum amount the church can get to for the Lord on this campus. 2,000 in worship, 1,500 in Bible study. And so your pastors, your, your building committees in the future, they'll be able to look at it and know the church voted on this plan. We're going to vote on after a bit and seek to plan accordingly without hopefully having to spend money again to study how to move forward. So as we vote in a bit, We're not voting on um, every detail of each building like kitchen facilities or lighting options or seating. That will be decided building by building. 
project by project, and you'll vote on those things. What you're deciding to do today is say that like on D-Day, where the Americans went here, and the British went here, and the Canadians went here, right? This is where we attack. This is where the children go, the students go, the adults go, the parking goes. It isn't complicated. You're voting on a map. And this is how I think we can obey God to keep making disciples together. And this is how we can invade and overcome the gates of Hades so as to keep growing and have space. But all the people the Lord desires to send us. And I think God wants to send this church a whole lot of people. I feel it. I sense it. Many of you voice that to me. You're excited about what God's doing. And I'm pretty pumped about it. And that's about as... And my wife, she's a cheerleader. She is the sanguine on the football field cheerleader. That's about as animated as I get. (laughs) I'm pretty pumped about this. All right. Second thing quickly. Churches that grow, they have to find ways to grow the pot. Not talking about grow pot. I'm talking about the pot. I was telling Andrew down here that the piece, the orchestra in the beginning, it had sort of a Bob Marley flavor to it. And I said, I'm not preaching on pot today, on the pot. But uh, anyway, I don't want... did you hear the reggae in that piece that Kevin did? But, you know, the second thing I want to remind us of is that, that churches that grow, as this one has over time, they had to find ways to grow the pot, to grow the container. Several years ago, I read a little book that deals with this issue is called The Bonsai Theory of Church Growth by Ken Hemphill. I have my autographed copy right here. He was the president of one of our seminaries, pastor of First Baptist Charlotte for many, many years. And in it, Dr. Hemphill, he talks about the bonsai tree. You know what a bonsai tree is? A plant, one of those weird-looking things there. It's a very small plant in the beginning. takes meticulous care, always needs attention to live and grow. And what you want to do with it is you want to do the things that... Um, that it takes for the living plant to grow naturally. And one key thing you have to deal with is that as the tree grows, it's going to become root-bound in the pot, and you have to move it to a bigger pot. And if you do that, the tree will grow, and bonsai trees have a long lifespan. The two oldest bonsai trees, one's in Italy, one's in Japan, they're a 1,000 years old. So, you know, you may start with, with these. These are from my house, and you see that we've killed all the plants and then you go to a, a bigger one if you want a bigger bonsai tree. And then you get to this big old thing. And, uh, you know, I'm not like Ann Blair in our church. She could grow something in the desert. But I, I could kill it fresh. But this is the idea. You have to have, you know, the bigger pot. And our church is at that point. We are root bound. It's called in church growth terms sociological strangulation. It just means our pot is too small to grow the plant on up. When we reach seven to 800 in Sunday school on this campus, we are bound. Our buildings are inadequate. Our parking is inadequate. We have people drive off before COVID and leave because of, of that. There are no parking places at times. When we're up to that number, it's tough getting kids in and out of the kids' area over there. And our worship center... Before COVID is getting packed as well, it'll release you, you know, if a thousand of hundred in here, like sardines trying to get out of here. And furthermore, uh, 
as we think about that, then we have a limited amount of property, so we've got to develop it the right way. So your long-range building planning team, your pastors, other leadership, believe that what Equip has given to us, the architectural firm, is the best plan to make us, uh, help us go forward on the property to reach those goals that we have for 1,500 in Sunday school and 2,000 ultimately in worship. Um, you can't put new wine into old wineskins in some ways that applies to this as well. So... As far as building and property development, this is the way forward, I believe, to give us bigger pots to continue to grow our expanding church and a church that's getting younger. You know, yesterday at our church picnic, we had well over 400 people. It was amazing at Anderson University. And I was talking to a person who is now a member of our church there, and they said, you know, I visited Concord in the 1990s. And either as a newlywed or they were dating or engaged, I can't remember, but they said, you know, they're not a lot of young people and they thought the church was in trouble if things did not change and I think that was true when I started here we had one young adult Sunday school class with two couples going to it but now years later and this person is now a member of our church they came back to Anderson they were talking about all the young families coming into the church how the church is growing how exciting it was yesterday to see so many kids and that is so true we now have five to six young adult classes, I believe, in trying to find ways to start more with our limited rooms. We also have a great group of senior adults, people that are moving here, senior adults and joining our church, and middle-aged folks, and we're just adding people in all the age groups. That's a healthy thing for a church to be doing. And I met more visitors yesterday at the picnic uh, than I can count, people that have been visiting our church checking us out. So for me, the point is today is an exciting day, a positive day in which you get to say by vote that we want to build upon what others sacrificed to give to us and our families in the past by building and growing for more families in the future. If we choose not to grow, then we just choose to decline and die. And some of you came here to this church from other churches in this community that are in the process of dying. You know what that feeling is like in a church. Concord has decided down through the years that we're committed to growing and reaching people. And today, just want to adopt the roadmap to continue in that direction. I have a roadmap already. I don't think it's adequate. I'm just asking you to embrace this one. And then when the business meeting, we'll talk about all the things we're voting for today, what we're voting, not voting for. We're only voting for one thing, a new map. So as we come to a time of commitment this morning, I know it's kind of been a different type of service, and hopefully this will be the last time we deal with building issues for a while in a service, but I just want to challenge you today that if you're a member of our church, to stay and, and be a part of the vote. I'm thankful you trust our leadership, and we do so many things today that uh, we just you know, act as leaders. We're a large church. Nobody makes a big deal about it because you trust your leaders, and I could have done that with this. Our budget votes like that each year. Most people don't come to the question and answer time about the budget. They don't stay and vote for the budget, but you give strongly to the ministry. So I'm glad you trust us. And our staff has worked very hard to, keep, to build your trust and to keep your trust. We want to be responsible and accountable to you. But today, I just want to encourage all of our members of Concord. We're going to have an invitation, and then we're going to pray and dismiss. And we'll reconvene in about five minutes after that. Stay and be a part of that conference. Make a strong statement that you can support this plan for our future. Maybe 
The Lord is leading some of you to take next steps to become a part of our fellowship by transfer of your membership, baptism, whatever God may be leading you to do. We're going to sing here briefly and not tarry long, but give you an opportunity to respond. And again, if you're here as a first-time guest, uh, kind of apologize a little bit, not really, but apologize in a way that um, we're focusing on this today, but I think it's necessary. Just hope you hear our heart that this is all about people. All about people coming to know Jesus, growing in Christ. And so we just pray the Lord has ministered to you through that uh, today, even though we focused on these things. Let's stand. Kevin, come and lead us as we sing after I pray. Father, bless now this time of commitment. Thank you for the life that's in this church, for all that you're doing, the excitement that is here. Lord, for the buzz yesterday of that wonderful day you gave us together uh, at the campus and Lord just for the things I hear from our young people middle-aged people our senior adults uh, Lord how much they love this church and what you're doing and so we just pray that you'd help us to find our way forward under your hand hearing your voice obeying your leadership and Father I thank you for the privilege of uh, leading here that you've given me for 17 years I do not take it lightly and I just want to be responsible to you, accountable to you. Forgive me when I fail. Help me to be the best leader I can be. Strengthen me, for you know how deeply I need your help. And God, now as we take this time for people to respond, we just pray that those who need to respond, you'd grant them the grace to come. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.